For me, it was an unexpected place, an uncomfortable place, to be honest. I had stepped out of my career to take on something that had been promised to me. The only problem was that the delivery of that promise, it, it just never came. Oh, the, the promise, promises were still made. They were fully guaranteed, just like an Amazon delivery. It would say that it has doorstep delivery. But the truth is, the parcel was lost, and the parcel never came. Just promised, never appeared. And what made it harder for me was that they had come after me, uh, not the other way around. I hadn't sought out them. And that expectation, it, it just turned into waiting, and then more waiting, promise, and then more promises. And for all intents and purposes, what felt like a short-term, short-term stay on the shelf became far more like being boxed and put away in a barely-entered storage room at the Sally Ann. Like me, all of us have been in places of things hoped for, of disappointment. Things that we've hoped, but they've never made it to our door. At first, just seemingly individual packages, a, a can't-miss business opportunity that did. A relationship that promised happiness that didn't. A fantastic investment that was too good to be true, that was. And a trip of a lifetime that, yeah, it, it wasn't. Disappointment. For some of you, over time, those packages have, have stacked up one upon another until those disappointments can't just be dismissed as just, well, there's always a next time and just shrug it off. And, and when the stack of disappointment gets high enough, disappointment dives deep, moving from disappointment to doubt, and, and sometimes doubt to places of giving up and just walking away. Hope gone. Take someone like, like Judas, and though we aren't told much about him, there are things that we can assume. In the beginning days with Jesus, we, he would have been a partner in arms with the other disciples. At, at first encounter, impressed with Jesus. And before long, he, simply amazed. Impressed enough to, to leave his previous life behind. And amazed enough to imagine the incredible things that would be ahead. And no doubt, as, as he sat listening to the things that Jesus taught... He was convinced that, that everything left behind seemed of small importance compared to the things that he had come to. Come to. <laughs> things never imagined. Hoped for? Perhaps, but imagined? Never. This Jesus was so much more than anything he had ever hoped for. None of the other disciples had, had ever seen anything of what, like what they had been hearing and witnessing. And quite frankly, for them it would have been overwhelming. So you can be quite sure, not for a second did they really give much thought to the things that they had left behind. And added to that, Judas was able to gather around him a band of brothers, men called out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. 
Men, men who had come alive, united with the same heart, they were part of something great, something that was going to turn the world upside down. Young, boisterous, full of life, anticipation. They didn't know how. They, they didn't know when. But surely they had been called in, into something that would transform everything that they had ever known. And in the early days of following Jesus, that would be undeniable as the disciples, some different as chalk and cheese, walked together united in hope. Their discussions would continue not stopping as the the embers of the fires would draw low. They, they, They just kept talking about what they had been witnessing. But then for Judas, things began to turn. As nights went by, they seemed to be no closer to understanding where this was leading. No closer to things, a time when things would really change, when life in for all Israel would change. Because after all, Rome still ruled, the religious still religioned, the oppressors still oppressed. And in the face of of what couldn't be denied, it was true, Jesus was doing the miraculous, but Judas couldn't shake the feeling that what was done were transformations of of a person just here and there. And admittedly, sometimes there were more than just a few. There were were the many. (laughs) But, But how many of these were people of power and influence people who at a command could could cause all Israel to rise up and bring about change to demand change to to take the oppressors and just uh, eliminate them from the land (laughs) no 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 the people of influence and seeming power they stayed away if any of them did come close it certainly was wasn't because of any intention of joining in And with that, it's likely that Judas lost hope that Jesus was going to set a fire amongst all Israel to overturn Israel's oppressors and usher in Messiah's kingdom. In truth, the longer Judas listened, it was obvious that the day he hoped for was never going to come. And, and Jesus seemed almost to purposefully alienate those who might be prepared to rise up in common purpose to get rid of the enemy. <laughs> One thing would have been certain to him. This message of love your enemy wasn't going to do anything about the Romans who opposed. And as he looked around, he could easily see that privilege and power still belonged to others. And wealth, it certainly was theirs and not his. Although Judas secretly managed to address that for himself as he helped himself to the money bags. But while those others sat in their fine palaces and wealthy homes, he, he just traipsed along from small village to another most commonly associating with people seemingly of little importance and sometimes people that he would never have imagined himself coming close to. He, 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 he didn't deal with people like this, but, 
in following Jesus, he had to. Expectations once held him no closer than when he had first set out to follow. Expectations unmet. Judas began to take events into his own hands. He had crossed from disappointment to doubt a long time ago. Who knows when he had stepped over the line from doubter to disbeliever. Judas, blinded by expectations, who became uh, captured and defeated by his doubts. In truth, some place in the journey determined, Judas determined, how Christ should act and who he should be. He allowed his desires to become his had-to-be-met goals. And in that, his goals became his God. That is to say that Judas set the terms of how God should act, how God should be, if he truly was going to be one that would stay as a follower. For a moment, I I want to step back and step out and, and think about that as it comes to our journey. And, and it certainly isn't wrong for us to hold desires about what certain outcomes might be, especially if those desires line up with God's truth. But when those desires become my goals, goals that we demand that need to be answered in the way that we think, unless my must-haves outcome is met, We've moved to a different place. No longer a desire, but a a must-have goal. A won't-be-happy-unless goal that becomes a recipe for disappointment. Because in following Jesus, we aren't given assurances that these things will happen, that these things necessarily are in our best, or, or what God says, these are the things that are best for you. And when our goals lead, we set the agenda. We select the outcome, and, and then we ask God to, to rubber stamp what we've determined. And that is a recipe, again, for disappointment and often despair. It's what Jesus speaks about in the parable in Luke 12, verses 18 to 20, when he says this, He speaks of a man, he says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. James says in in chapter 4, says much the same thing when he warns this. Come now, you who say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is life? What is your life? For you are amidst a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
so while we have expectations and while we have goals, we need to be careful. And the truth is, there will be things that happen to us where we will experience disappointment. And I realize that some of you listening right now are in that place very deeply, that the things you hope for haven't come, where you feel shortchanged in what you expected from life, where you feel cheated by circumstance, the, the disappointment of unmet goals or blocked goals, the disappointment of hopes not achieved, and that disappointment, it, it hurts. Writers and theologians are in agreement of where disappointment leads. Author Eric Hoffer describes the disappointment as a, quote, sort of bankruptcy, the bankruptcy of a soul that expands, expands too much in hope and expectation. It, it's that bankruptcy that psychotherapist Dr. Mary Lamia observes why people avoid disappointment far more than any other emotional experience. Because disappointment comes with finality. That the recognition that you don't have, didn't get, or will never achieve whatever it is that you wanted. And as George Foreman points out, evil lurks where disappointment lodges. And we need no better evidence of what Foreman was speaking of than what we're given in Judas's journey from disappointment to doubt to disbelief. Disbelief that allowed Judas to exchange the life he loved and followed for the love of things that he could feel and touch, some silver coins, all because his expectations went unmet, and all because the script that he had written didn't play out as hoped. Somehow, some way, he heard the message that God had failed him, God hadn't come through with what he wanted, hadn't been what he had demanded him to be. And characteristic to that disappointment are the whispers of the enemy who want to bring us to hoping that we will believe in some way that God has failed us, that he hasn't been there for us, that when we needed answers, he just was nowhere to be found. And the truth is, of, of all of Satan's weapons, few penetrate as deeply and as easily as disappointment and discouragement. And in short, the enemy wants to take you and I to the same place he took Judas. And again, while we aren't told, I'm quite certain that Judas quietly simmered in his own thoughts. I hazard a guess that he just went into deep places of isolation where his beliefs ran unchecked. I doubt he shared his struggles with, with any of the other disciples. And so with disappointment repeated like a, just a revolving discussion in his head, going unchallenged and just, just on continuous loop, they eventually took on the sound of truth. Because disappointment works that way. It takes us from the letdown of one event to inter interpretations that are far greater than one. 
And if we're not careful, the one worms into the many. Life's not fair. I don't deserve to be treated this way. I won't be treated this way. And then steps are taken like Judas where we can go down a path that can bring great destruction. Others experience different disappointment in different ways. And in truth, that disappointment comes not because they've held any wrong expectation or wrong desire. It's the disappointment that just comes as the normalcy of life that steps upon, that drives them under. And obviously, they view it as the evidence is in. I am less than. I am not deserving of. I do deserve to be treated this way. So as Christians, how do we deal with disappointment? Do we put on a plastic face and, no, all's good, haven't been that, down that path, sure, brief, brief side roads that, that bring some quick disappointments, but I get back on track. Nothing to be out, bent out of shape about just wrapping ourselves up in cocoons of denial. Or we, we could be like the author, the poet Alexander Pope said, blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. <laughs> now there's a life. Hope not, live not. The problem is we aren't designed to live that like that because hope is embedded in us. It causes us to dream and create. It, it causes us to reach for places that haven't been reached. Psychologist James Coleman observes, shipwreck victims who lose hope may die after a few days, even though physiologically they could have survived many days longer. The point is that life without expectation, life without hope, is not the life we've been created to live. Okay. So what is truth? What do we do with this? The first, I want to give you four things. First, accept that disappointment happens to everyone without exception. The sad truth is, is that it's normal when disappointment comes. But the challenge about it is, is nothing about it feels normal. And it's not supposed to. Because disappointment was never something that God wired into his initial creation. But in this world, as we know it, disappointment shouldn't surprise because it is part of us. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, you'll have tough times, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But in that, it tells us that there is an enemy who wants to disappoint, who wants to hurt, who wants to bring destruction. But the reassurance is given, but there is one that is greater than our enemy, greater than our disappointment, his power greater than anything we will face, his promises greater than the pain we now feel. Do we know it right at the present? No. But he is promised of what he will give. The second thing, you accept it first. The second thing is you need to mourn and then release our disappointments to God. That we need to allow the pain, not to deny it. Because when we, when we suffer loss, it's, it's natural to mourn. 
So don't run away from that. Don't, don't hide from that. Don't deny it. Acknowledge the disappointment. Allowing time to honestly look at why it has struck so hard. Were our expectations wrong? Were our priorities in, invested in, in things beyond what they should have been? And, and sometimes that will be the case. But in others, you won't find those things. The expectations, they seemed right. They felt right. And perhaps they were right. And the loss had nothing to do with you. It just was disappointment that it didn't come into being. So again, take the time to grieve, to feel sad, and then release your disappointment to God with honest cries and questions. If necessary, with the shouting that erupts from the very core, the deepest part of who you are. With the tears that you don't make any attempt to hide. With the words that you would dare not say to any others, but, but they can be said to God because God knows these things are true. But in, in your honesty, know what the psalmist tells us, what he reassures us. Yet I, God, am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into your glory. Whom have, have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you, Psalm 73. The psalmist expressing that this side of heaven, there will be things that we don't understand where our disappointments and hurt will speak louder than assurances of his presence. But at no time have we been forsaken. At no time have we ever been separated from his love not even in the darkest place in which we've walked. Romans 8 gives us probably as one of the, the pinnacles of, of Scripture that we turn to again and again. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will go join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? <laughs> no, 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 no. Despite all these things, and notice they are bad things. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Releasing our disappointment to God means making a decision to trust God. Letting him help us move past our disappointment and cutting off the fuel supply that wants to keep it alive. It's hitting the mute button on the voices that speak. My own voice that keeps circling back and forth with a message that wants to embed its 
its reality in me. All the wrongs done, all the things suffered. As well as muting the voices of fellow disappointees who want to help us keep past hurts alive, that gather around us and reaffirm the hurt. The hurt is real, but we need people that ultimately will re redirect us that God is present. And instead, we need to listen to the psalmist voice again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God, Psalm 42. So the first thing is to accept that disappointment will happen. The second is to mourn and then release our disappointment to God. A third thing is to evaluate and, where necessary, adjust your expectations. Because disappointment allowed to run unchecked will cripple and will lead to damage. If we believe that goals accomplished and relationships gained or status earned will silence disappointment, we're in for a surprise. Because sometimes disappointment comes even in the things we've achieved that they've been given to us as we, as we discover the emptiness of what they provide. Because the new car soon goes old. The corner office that looks so prestigious, it's not as hoped. And yesterday's status is not enough for today. And that disappointment can lead us to examine where and in whom we have pl truly placed our hope. Leading us to the place that where we need to hope completely in God. And to reframe our goals and our desires. To reframe the goals to desires and yield those desires to God. Practically, it means taking those disappointment boxes that are stacked up our door, they need to be unpacked and discarded. The boxes and all, not just what is in them, but also the cartons that contain them. Because as long as the boxes remain, the evidence of what they contained is still with us. So as much as possible and as real as disappointment and the reasons for disappointment are, don't let your mourning go on too long. Instead, again, evaluate and adjust your, your expectations, considering are there lessons to be learned? Are there things not to be returned to? Are there things that can assist for the days ahead? And as you consider these things, discard what you've allowed to gather on the porch. We are given one last picture, or one last picture I want to look at from Scripture of disappointment. That's given to us in a book that we rarely look at. It was in the book of Haggai, uh, chapter 2. And we're given that picture of despondent people as they look at a temple that's been rebuilt. And it is nothing like what it, it had been in previous, the previous temple. It was a far cry from the temple they had known. To them, it signified that the, the best days were gone. Moses was gone, David was gone, Solomon was gone. And before them stood this replica that was far, far from what they knew. And in that, there were whispers that God was gone. At least their God of might and power that, that gave them a position to stand. Talk about disappointment. Disappointment. 
And God's response to what they see and how they act, he said, (laughs) do you not understand? My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. In essence, he was saying, quit dwelling on your perceptions of what was and take a better look at what is and what, or what needs to be. To them, disappointment said, God is not who you think he is. He's not what you want him to be. And then, in this same passage, God answers them by directing them back to his name. Six times in nine verses, he says to them, He is the Lord. He is Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. It's God's military name, signifying that he is so much greater than all the forces of heaven and on earth. It's the theme that Isaiah takes us to in Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men, they shall fall exhausted. But they who wait in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, the word disappointment has a prefix in front of it. It's the the letter dis. And literally, those three letters mean this. It means that they are to be apart or to asunder or away. So, So what is disappointment? It is to divide asunder, to divide apart, to take us away from what? to take us away from our appointment with the one we are called to see. The one we are called to trust. The one we are told has not abandoned. The one who is not forgotten. The one we are told who gives power to the faint and increases strength to the weak. Which brings me to the fourth point. We are to accept We are to mourn, we are to evaluate, and lastly, we are to get up and get going. God's call is to act. Were the disappointments real? Yep. But don't wallow there. Did they hurt? Sure did. But are you going to allow those hurts and disappointments to disable? Are you going to allow that hurt to root you to the past Will those disappointments be experiences or will they become a place where you allow them to become your identity and your future of how you see life, of how you see God? You see, blinded by disappointment, Judas lost sight of the Jesus that was right in front of him. Jesus, who says to us that he comes as Savior and Lord to all hearts that will cry out to him. So as you are in this season, cry out. Cry out to him. Mourn as you must. 
But make sure your morning is time-bound. And then get up and get going. Accept, mourn, evaluate, and move because despite everything you see, despite what you may feel, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you and in his love he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. The promise of the God who says, I will never disappoint. And I prove that by sending the one I love beyond all loves to die so that you might know my love and forgiveness and my salvation in your life. And that God says, look at my cross and my blood and you'll know I never disappoint. Lord, thank you that you are the mighty warrior, that you are our hope, you are our truth, you are our life, you are our way. Lord, let those know that are walking through times of disappointment, may they see that you are one who hears their cry and draws close. We pray that in the name of Christ. Amen.